Welcome to the Hilltop United Methodist Church podcast. Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye. There's, like we said last week, there's four readings any one week. We generally try to incorporate them where possible, as much as practicable. Uh, today, um, the three of the four readings really, really dovetailed uh, quite a bit, have based, basically sort of a statement of the human condition and how it is that we respond to God's love with that. Um, one of the readings that we uh, did not use today is from Jeremiah. You heard it hinted at uh, there in the prayer, Jeremiah 17, uh, verses 5 through 12, something like that. And he, it's sort of a sermonette on Psalm 1, is what it is. It's sort of a riff off of Psalm 1. And he's talking there about how it is that you grow in your relationship, how you're nurturing your relationship with God. Sort of a statement of the human condition, and then a statement of how it is that you respond to that element of the human condition in order to be more godly in the world. The Luke is, to me, is my take on this, very much in dialogue with that kind of that kind of material. I'm going to be reading to you from, from in a second. I'll be reading for, to you from the New Revised Standard Version. It's Luke 6, uh, chapter, seven, chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. And I would just encourage you as you read this to listen for it, listen to it for uh, the blessed, the blessings that go on there that are very apparent. But then also ask yourself some questions about the tension that might be created in this because it's blessings and there's woes. Blessings and woes. Um, I've commented to me, mo- you multiple times about how the important the Sermon on the Mount was to my grandmother on my mother's side, my grandmother Hall. And um, you, you're hearing this sort of Luke's take on the Sermon on the Mount. It's not exactly the same. It's a little, it's a little different. A little different. And we'll, we'll come back to that, I, I hope, during the, during the reflection. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26 I'm on page 64 of the New Testament section of the Pew Bible. Roberta, when we do the music, let's do it like we did at the first service, all three times, okay? He, in this case, is Jesus. Um, it's understood. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a, with a great crowd of his disciples. Get this first hint of the fact that disciples in Luke is a larger gathering than the 12. It's more than the 12. And a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in in the crowd were trying to touch him. For power came out from him and healed all of them. Don't flip the side. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to repeat that again. And for power came out from him and healed all of them. Important phrase. Very important phrase. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will, be lo- for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, like sticks leaped for joy at the end of their feast. 
For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I've got good news for you and not so good news. The good news is for you in Genesis 1, we find out that we are made very good. We are made very good. We're made in the image of God. I've got some bad news for you. This may come as a shock to a few of you, but you're not made perfect. You're not made perfect. This happens quick in the Bible, real quick. It happens in the Garden of Eden. The serpent shows up and tries to persuade Adam and Eve about what the real reality is. And he convinces them that they can be at the center of the universe. They can be like God. It's not an unusual set of circumstances. If you think about it, you are at the center of your universe. Everything that you do, everything that you, how you walk around the world, how you walk around this world is processed through your own eyes, your own experiences, your own set of observations. It's easy to get into a place where you are indeed the center of your universe. And Jeremiah, Psalm, lay out for us what that looks like. In the Jeremiah, we're told that, um, we're told that um, you can become devious, deceitful. In the Jeremiah, it's essentially asking, where do you put your trust? In what do you put your trust? The values of the world? Or do you put your trust in the values and the word of God? And we read the psalm. The psalm was there. And it, it lays out that we, we have this chance for us to make two choices. One choice is to endorse the values of the world, be hang around with those who scoff at the Bible, hang around with those who uh, would be deceitful, liars, you get the drift. And then we also have the choice to go deep into the Word of God, study the Word of God, allow that to anchor us. And that's not an accidental word. It allows us to anchor us because what the psalm suggests is, is that it's like being by this spiritual river, that this water of live, this living waters that are there, which nourishes us in such a way that when the experiences of life comes along, we're not blown away with it. And those who don't have those roots, they're not able to put down those spiritual depths into, that, into, the, into the Bible, into the Word of God. The first wind comes along, what does it do? It blows them away. Now, the comment I'm about to make here is probably more to the young because those that are older know the truth of what, the, what I'm about to say. The, the, the issue sometimes that relates to our human condition is not if something is going to go wrong in your life. The issue is what happens when something goes wrong in your life. You may, you may be in your 20s, 30s, or 40s where something like that really, really happens. Others have that kind of experience happen fairly early in their life. 
high schoolers now are having to deal with good friends who take their own lives. It's a pretty, pretty awkward, horrible experience for them to have to do. So the question is sometimes is not what we're going to do if, the question is what are we going to do when? And the issue sometimes on that is getting ourselves prepared now. Getting ourselves prepared in this now for what may indeed happen to us. Coming back to the, uh, to the Henderson Sticks group, they, they sang to this, or they didn't sing, the, the music sang to this, they, they did a drama to it. But the, the, the words that were there uh, was just that uh, time and again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. That's the voice of the world. That's the voice of the world speaking to you. And you don't have to be 12, 14, 16 years old to have that voice speaking to you. You can be 70, 80, 90 years old and be having that voice speak. And what did the piece of music say that ought to to be the response to that? But the voice of truth, but the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. It's what Jeremiah is driving at in that passage that we hinted at. It's what the psalm is talking about that allows you to put those roots down and to be able to survive when the winds of life come blowing in. And I would say to you that the passage I just read to you out of the Luke is is in that strain. Now, I, I want to come back to the homework assignment, the invitation I made to you as I, as I read through there. Notice, for example, Luke's take on this. In, in Matthew, it's blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. A lot, of, a lot of Matthew's Beatitudes are these spiritual component kinds of things. Luke shakes all that out. He shakes all that out, and he gets down to really physical, tangible, tactile things that we can touch or feel or experience. For example, Luke says, blessed are those who are poor. Not poor in spirit, but poor. When I went through the reading, I even commented about the nows. The nows on the blessedness and the nows on the woes. Does that make anybody nervous? That scare anybody? That, that give you a little bit of qua, qua, uh, pause as you hear that? Let me give you one voice of assurance here on this, is the fact that Luke doesn't mean that you're literally forever doomed if you're rich now and you can't work your way, you can't, you can't find your way out of that, all right? But I would say that Luke is offering us the opportunity to make a choice is for us to understand that as we encounter the Lazarus at the gate, he'll come back to that later in the, book, in the Gospel of Luke. He'll encounter this Lazarus at the gate. And what's the condemnation to the rich in that? Because they keep walking by him. They keep walking by him and don't experience his pain. They don't deal with his poverty. What happens in Acts? Acts is written by Luke. Luke is part one, the story of Jesus and how he gets to where he gets to the cross and his, his resurrection. Then you have the the book of Acts, which is the story of the impact of Jesus' life on that community and how it is they build the church. 
Acts 4, Acts 5 tells these stories of that group of people are asked to bring what they hold in common, what they, what they have and bring it to hold it in common. Some characters come out of that, both one blessed and one scathed. Barnabas, for example, he's a real estate developer there in Jerusalem. He takes his money, he takes his real estate, sells it, and gives it back to the church. And he gets to go off to Antioch with Paul in order to found the church in Antioch and then become one of the primary early apostles of the church and helping get it going. And then there's a husband and wife couple who decide they're going to hang on to what it is they've got and they're not going to give it back. They're going to they're hang tight to it. It's going it's to scream when it leaves their grip. Luke lays out what happens to them, which is not fun, not pleasant. So Luke does, isn't always talking about this idea of blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, he's talking about blessed are those who've experienced it now. But the challenge might be for those who have, who have some stuff and what it is and how it is that they understand that blessing. Blessing is, is, is in this particular case intended to be understood of a nature of how, of, of a component of the nature of the quality and how it is that we understand our relationship with God. How it is that we understand that relationship and how it is that we might respond in some kind of way. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. So how might, how might we apply this just a smidgen here at Hilltop? Or we had a couple here from Chattanooga at the 9 o'clock service. Or, or in Henderson. Or someone else, somewhere else where a visitor might be from. Or maybe in Charlestown, West Virginia in July when I get there. I would say one of the things we need to do is to understand that God has been faithful to us and how it is that we are faithful back to God. God has been faithful to us and how it is that we are faithful back to God. It's, it's a bad practice to get into preaching a sermon which one of your primary illustrations was the thing you heard the first time 10 minutes ago. Fortunately, at 9 o'clock it was 10 minutes ago and now at, at the 10.30 service I heard it an hour and 10 minutes ago, but you get the drift. It was, uh, it was Becky Elliston's uh, homage, her, her reflection on the importance of music for her. I didn't realize the whole backstory of all that. I didn't realize it was started off in the gospel. Did you see how she went through that? She went through the, the gospel, and then she became more of the chancel choir, and then the sanctuary singers, and the summer singers, and on and on. And by the way, I, 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 I personally think that my experience with Becky over the last seven years, she walks into the room different. She walks into, am I, am I right? It makes sense? She walks into the room different. There's, a, there's, a, there's an awareness that she has of God's love that may have not quite been there seven years ago. It's a beautiful thing. So Becky has responded to God's faithfulness by a little bit of faithfulness, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. She's all in. She's all in. And I don't lift that up to embarrass anybody, especially Becky. I use it as a positive illustration to say how it is that we could be. At the same time, at the same time, I want to focus on the fact that who, who, we, can, who we could should be here at Hilltop or at Henderson or in Chattanooga or in Charlestown, West Virginia, or, or, or. I would encourage us to work very, very hard to be an anxiety-free zone. An anxiety-free zone. I am mindful that there is, 
squirreliness out there in the, in the hinterlands over my departure. Oh my goodness, Dennis is leaving. He's been here seven years. What are we going to do without Marilyn? We can get rid of Dennis, but Marilyn, what are we going to do without her? I got it. I got it. I think I've been here about three weeks when somebody finally come up to me and says, you know, I don't know if you're going to make it or not, but she's staying. want to be in an anxiety-free zone. How do you get to be in an anxiety-free zone? Put your roots down. Drink from the living waters of Jesus. Keep yourself focused on Jesus. Give yourself up in such a way that you can see who Jesus is and make the life of Jesus tangible in your life. This comment here is a, this is a true comment throughout the world but particularly here in Utah, particularly here in Utah. The promised children, the children have left the promised land in Exodus. They've left the promised land, excuse me, they've left, excuse me, let me start over again. They've left Egypt on their way to the promised land and they encounter an oasis on this journey. And at the oasis, they're, they're made whole again. They, they can find water, they can get dates. They're able to recharge their batteries. They're able to to heal in some kind of way. Churches should be like that place. Churches should be an oasis in the midst of a wilderness. I don't know how wilderness uh, where you are exactly might be, how wild it is, how crazy it is. But I would say to you that churches should, must, need to be places of safety where you can come in, you can find your spiritual self healed and you're made well it's a place of physical safety as well i can't imagine the horror show that the catholic church is having to go through right now certainly glad we're not having to experience that here but it needs to be a place of safety but at the same time going back to this issue of wilderness going back to this issue of wilderness i i I want to emphasize i don't like using military metaphors and illustrations but I, i want to use one from two from world war ii Okay? And I think many people can agree that World War II, under most circumstances, could be justified as a just war, okay? as, a, as our response to it could be called a just war. I believe it, I could convince 999,999 people out of a million that that was a just war. Okay? So work with me on this, that we're going to call that a just war. You, you get the situation in Band of Brothers, which is the story of a rifle company in the 101st Airborne Division and their, their movement from training through, um, through deployment and into the end of, into, end of the war. And they're at Bastogne in December of 1944. Bastogne in December of 1944. You, those of you who understand history, that's the Battle of the Bulge, Yardin's offensive, and the Germans are making one last push to at least try to get the war ended on their terms. And the, the airborne lieutenant there is named Major Winters, excuse me, the airborne, the airborne officer is named Major Winters. And he's standing there talking to the, talking, and this jeep drives up, and this, this lieutenant out of the armor, armor branch. Infantry people and armor people are different. They see the world different. Particularly, airborne infantry people and armor people see the world different. Okay, very, very different. It's even further apart than Rob Garrison and I see military service. Rob Garrison is Air Force and I was Army. Lieutenant comes up to Major Winters and he says, the 
The Germans are coming around behind us, Lieutenant, I mean Major. It looks like you're about to be surrounded. Major Winters looks up, looks over and says, we're, air, we're airborne, we're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. We're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. We're Christians in the world. We're supposed to be surrounded. That's not Dennis Shaw. That's C.S. Lewis as well. C.S. Lewis makes the point in Mere Christianity, which was written during World War II, I understand. But he makes the point that at times we have to get into our mindset that we're behind the lines. We are behind the lines, and we have to be prepared for that. It doesn't mean you have to treat everybody out there in the world who's not like you as the enemy, but you still nonetheless have to recognize that we should be a place of safety, a will, a, an oasis in the wilderness, a place where we're prepared to recognize that we are behind the lines, that we're surrounded by those who don't necessarily see the world quite the same way. Jeremiah and the psalm focus on where do you put your trust? That was sort of a the question. I believe that Luke is driving at the same question. Where do you put your trust? Do you put your trust in the here and now? Or do you take that blessing that you've been given and, and, and allow that blessing to allow you to be a blessing back out in the world? That's our test. We've been blessed in order to be a blessing. We hear that and we ought to think about that. Everything in this service today, every piece of music we did, every piece of material that you spoke out loud, the confession that you did, was all driven at the idea of our participation in the blessing that is God's world. It's all driving at that. So that's the really the question. So you come back to the unease you might have over the passage we read here. I believe Luke is laying it out there for you. I believe Luke is laying say, you have two choices. You have choices you can make. You can take the blessing that you have in the now and not share that back out, not use that blessing to be a blessing back out in the world, and there's going to be judgment. No, we don't like to talk about judgment. People find it scary and unpleasant. I wish I didn't have to talk about judgment sometimes, but it's there. It's indeed present. Conversely, conversely, he offers you the opportunity Take that blessing that you've been given and share it back out. Don't walk by the Lazarus at the gate. And look over and touch him and experience his pain in some kind of way and find out what's going on with him and see what it is you might be able to do in order to make his pain a little less. So what is our assignment out of this passage in Luke? I believe it's to take a look and listen to it and ask ourselves the question, where am I in this drama? What is my role here? How do I see myself in this? Am I one of the ones that needs to hear what we're about to sing and say, that, that song changes me in some kind of way? Or are we going to be one of those that just that hears it and says, okay, I'm going to go get a, a bagel and a, or a, and a cup of coffee and we'll talk about what's going on in the world? We'll talk about what's going on in our little world. The challenge is there for you. In a moment, we're going to sing some words that were written in the 18th century, which is about how it is that we commit ourselves to living a godly life. And how do we do that? We get ourselves out of the story. We're no longer the center of the universe. 
we have to realize that answering God's call, dealing with God's call, understanding God's grace that's been given to us, and knowing that we can, through God's grace, make the world just a little bit different. What's the mission of the United Methodist Church? The mission of the United Methodist Church is to, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ so that the world is transformed. This piece of music helps us understand that. Please stand as you are able and join in as the music, as the words come in. Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services are at 9 o'clock and 1030. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye.